Hello, and welcome to this ASVO podcast, a series of open conversations with inspirational people in the wine industry who share insights and perspectives on their careers, life experiences, and expertise. This episode is a collaboration between the University of Adelaide, Weight Research Institute, and ASVO, aiming to create opportunities, convivial spaces for people to connect, provoking comment and conversation. I'm Chris Waters, ASVO Executive Officer, and today I'm talking with Professor Kerry Wilkinson, Dr Julie Colbert, and winemaker Alex Cassegrain on Smoke Tank. Kerry, you're obviously an expert in this area, so how long actually have you been researching Smoke Tank? I think I've been involved in smoke tank research for nearly 20 years now. Um, I started as a postdoc um, at Curtin University and was involved in some of the pioneering research that was done by Dr. Kristen Kennison in Western Australia. But then after moving to the University of Adelaide, I've, I've been managing a, a smoke tank research team there and looking at things from novel analytical methods for measuring smoke tank and looking at novel analytical methods for measuring smoke tank trying to understand the chemical and sensory and physiological impacts of grapevine smoke exposure. And then a lot of our work is also looking at, you know, mitigation and remediation strategies. So how can we prevent or fix smoke taint in grapes and wine? Fantastic. Julie, you've also had extensive experience in, in this area. Is there a particular focus you've been working on? Um, particularly looking at prevention and remediation. So as Kerry just mentioned, um, an area of her research as well. So we've done a bit of collaboration with the University of Adelaide as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just trying to find ways to prevent. Either that means in the vineyard, prevent the uptake of the smoke or primarily, yeah, remediation. What do we do when it's there? Okay. And Alex, you personally experienced some of the devastating fires in 2020. Uh, and now you're you're leading a national uh, smoke tank project. Can you tell us a bit about that? It was a bit of a, uh, I guess, a whole new realm for me dealing with with smoke tank. It wasn't something that I had experience with before. So for me, I was coming into it with, I guess, a very different mindset, which I think is what I guess gave me the sort of motivation to try something new or to try anything you possibly could from a winery point of view, anyway. And when it came closer to the time. Um, in discussions with the University of Adelaide and also some people that have been doing some trials with to try and bring it all together was was something that, you know, obviously gave, again, a lot more motivation to try something new and, and to see what, were, what we could do to help the process, be it in the winery and or the vineyard. Okay. So, Kerry, can you tell us why smoke is such a concern to the wine industry? So when a bushfire occurs in close proximity to a wine region, there's a risk that some of the smoke from that fire can drift into vineyards. So depending on the the timing of smoke exposure and the duration of of smoke exposure, some of the compounds that are present in the smoke that make it smell smoky can be taken up by the, the grapes and then they can carry through into the wine and impart not so pleasant, smoky, ashy, medicinal type characteristics to the finished wine. So obviously when that occurs um, and it's quite perceptible, it's not pleasant and so it detracts from the, the quality of the wine and therefore it's not as enjoyable to drink. And so that obviously has financial implications for both growers and, and winemakers. 
Um, and I guess over the years, it's it's been an issue that's occurred not only in Australia, but elsewhere in the world. So, you know, grapevine smoke exposure has occurred in the US and Canada, South mm-hmm. Africa, um, and more recently in, in parts of Europe. Um, and so it's been estimated that you know, the, the effect of, of smoke um, and this, what we refer to as smoke taint, um, has cost grape and wine producers around the world millions of, of dollars um, over the years. So, Julie, in, in a perfect world, if, you, if your vineyards have been exposed to smoke, what should growers do? I would recommend, first of all, knowing what the numbers are, um, not going in blind and knowing, you know, have I been exposed or not? So getting analytical testing... Um, so measuring those levels of phenolic compounds, whether they're in the bound formed or the free form. So knowing what you've dealt with, um, and I'll talk to it in more detail later, but knowing against background levels, have I had exposure or not? Um, so primarily that would be your first go-to, but there are, um, numerous other things that you should do in conjunction with that. So including something like mini ferments, so you can take the grapes and you can go through mini ferment and see whether you can smell the smoke. So there's a range of different options. Um, There's fact sheets available out there online. So I really recommend that people look for that information. So simply go and Google smoke taint, you'll find a lot of valuable resources there to to refer to. And Alex, in in the real world, uh, what would you be uh, thinking you need to do? Look, to be honest, I, I, I'd have to compare that the understanding the knowledge or understanding your precursors, the bound and and uh, free, <coughs> does play an important role. And, and, and but for us at the time, um, we couldn't really ascertain as to what that impact would be in a in a finished product. So we we did a similar thing. We we, we got our grapes, we sent them away, we did the range of micro ferments, but. You know, for us as well, we were ground zero for the smoke taint here in Pumakori that started in 2019. So we, we were seeing the effects of smoke taint in, in pre-Varaison, which, which at the time I, I wasn't, didn't think it was going to be an impact. And based on the, on the discussions I had and, and with other winemakers, it should be less of an impact, if any at all. And um, we soon found that not necessarily the case, as well as fires coming in or smoke coming in from a, a much further distance away and so for us, the, the bucket ferment was, was crucial for us to determine if there was any impact of the, of the compounds on a, on a finished product. And whilst we're doing that, hopefully getting the analysis back in time for us to make our decisions. But, you know, at the end of the day, we tried to do something that would give us a lot more knowledge in our decision-making as well, which was not just getting the grapes in and, and processing them and then doing a quick ferment and then sending the results, um, sending the samples away to get tested and then having a look at it from an organoleptic point of view ourselves. But we also tried to emulate what would actually happen in, in the actual process itself. So we tried to replicate the time of machine picking, hand picking and so on and so forth. So we tried to bring all that together before, before um, making those decisions. Okay. Alex, uh, I'm just curious. So apart from seeing the smoke, how do you actually tell if, if smoke has been affecting the grapes? The only way that we, through the microferments, was the best way of determining that if you could see it. If you could see it straight from the completion of the of the miniature ferment, then you would know that there was going to be, um, the precursors were already going to be there. It, for us, there was there weren't too many vineyards that we were sourcing grapes from that weren't impacted. 
it was just a matter as to what extent uh and and we did learn a lot through the process but there's still a lot more to learn from that point of view but we also changed um vinification processes in the winery to try and you know be it reduce the skin contact time having a process somewhere else but also via um you know different fermentation temperatures to change the kinetics a bit Kerry, is there been uh, some work done on being able to detect smoke yeah, we've been doing a bit of work um, with uh, an Australian company, um, Attendance Technologies. So they've got a, um, a sensor um, that can monitor particulate matter from, from bushfires. Um, primarily it's used in like the mining and energy resources, but we've put it to use in, in vineyards, um, looking at some trials, primarily looking at the effect of stubble burning and, and smoke from that. And that's been really promising. So we can track how much smoke there is and the duration of, of smoke exposure. Um, and there are a number of other companies out there that are now looking to develop um, similar technologies. I guess the challenge we have is really linking back those measurements of particulate matter and then trying to understand, you know, what duration of smoke exposure or what density of smoke um, is going to result in a perceivable taint in, you know, in wine made from grapes that are being exposed to smoke. And so that, that's some of the, the ongoing research that we're, we're still trying to do. Okay, so it's not obviously black and white. Um, perhaps, Julie, once uh, you know analysis analysis has been done, what do the numbers mean? That's the most challenging thing <laughs> and question we get the most um, in regards to from winemakers. Okay, I've got the numbers. I don't really know what it means. We're still trying to determine the grey zone, so to speak. So we know when it's black and white. We know has it basically been exposed or not? And if it has at really high levels, then we know it's in that black zone. In the white zone, we know in regards to, we've done a lot of research into collecting the grapes and analyzing them when they haven't been smoke exposed. So we know that some of these phenolic compounds, so whether free form or bound, are found naturally in a lot of grape varieties. And they're different levels and different grape varieties as well. So. We've collected a whole heap of um, samples and, and there's databases available now that actually give background levels. So what we can do is actually compare those numbers to those background levels. We know that if they're below or within that zone of the background levels that it's safe to say that it hasn't been um, exposed to smoke or at least not at levels that are going to cause you an issue. So we know, okay, you can proceed, you shouldn't have any issue. As I said, if it's really high levels of um, smoke exposure, then we know if it's in the, the hundreds of micrograms per litre, then we know that if that's that's badly tainted and you might have some issues or we definitely will have issues. So we'd you know, normally recommend um, not to produce wine from those grapes. But the grey zone is the biggest issue. So when we do have certain levels of smoke exposure, at what point are those numbers critical for us then producing wine that's going to be smoke tainted? And that's an area of ongoing research. You know, we wish we had the, the magic bullet and the magic answers. Um, but unfortunately, until we do some more research and um, we have found a lot of extra information and data that's become available after we had the bad bushfires in end of 2019 and 2020. So as we keep going forward, we'll generate more knowledge and hopefully become closer to that answer. But yes, it's always, if, even if it's low levels, there's still got to be some caution there with proceeding. And having a backup plan, you know, if we do go ahead and make that wine and it 
does appear to be a bit tainted, what can you potentially do then afterwards, um, whether that's dilute it down and dilute it out or potentially treat it. So that's ongoing area of research, which I know isn't our focus of today's podcast, so we'll talk about that at another time. Okay. So that's a nice little segue, I think, because it sounds like there's a lot of information, but, you know, what are the best practices that can be followed? In terms of trying to minimise extraction potentially. So just a little bit of background and know that we have done some work in trying to prevent the uptake. So we've tried a range of different sprays to see whether that will inhibit the uptake of those smoke compounds. And unfortunately, we haven't found a particular compound you know, whether it's a spray that's used as a um, fungicide, herbicide, uh, something to yeah to stop disease or whether it's some sort of clay that prevents exposure, like really sunscreen protection, um, none of them have been able to really be able to stop the uptake. Um, some of the more oily materials have actually exacerbated it. So it's another thing that people need to be aware of. So um, vineyard um, managers, you know, if there is smoke around, then potentially spraying particular material on your grapes might cause more of an issue. But no magic bullet in that area yet Mm. either. Um, I think the other issue with that is if we did find something that could prevent it, it's about the actual getting that spray or that compound 100% onto um, grapes, which we're never going to be able to 100% code it. So a lot of the focus then is then what can we do to minimise the extraction of those compounds and also potentially remediation. So I think Alex has already mentioned a few of them, but, you know, hand harvest, first machine harvest, making sure we have minimal amount of um, leaf material in there that might cause more extraction. Um, You could look at keeping the fruit cooler as well. There's some um, research that's shown that that's helped. Also, your press fraction. So um, we know that if you have the free run juice, you're going to have a lot less extraction of those compounds. The more that you press the skins, you're going to generate um, higher levels of those smoke tape compounds in those fractions. So there's a range of different things like that that you can consider and then down the track we're looking at, you know, once you've got the juice then there's fining, you know, potentially of that juice. We're looking at something like activator carbon and then through the the actual winemaking process um, you might just look at, um, yeah, temperatures and I know there's a bit of research in the using different yeasts as well but I think that's still relatively um, young research. So we know that certain yeasts might generate more of um, the actual volatile phenols because during that fermentation process, we're having release of volatile phenols from their bound form. So depending on what yeast is being used, it's whether it can actually utilise those sugars and therefore release a volatile phenol. So there's a range, yeah, different areas in research, but um, I mean, at the moment, you'd be trying to minimise those precursor compounds in your juice before you actually go through the fermentation. Kerry, I don't know if you want to add anything to that? No, I think that was a a pretty good summary. Minimise the extraction and as much as possible. And I I guess one thing to consider is that that might mean reducing skin contact time or eliminating skin contact time. And so it may be that winemakers have to consider making white or rosé wines, even with red grapes, that if you're trying to make a full-bodied red wine, you're going to need a lot of skin contact time. That's to extract the colour, but that also means you're extracting, you know, the compounds responsible for smoke tank. So maybe a change of just, you know, winemaking style, but that's something that people maybe need to be thinking about ahead of time so that, that they've got that as a bit of a backup plan. Alex, did you find anything that was particularly successful? We went through the 
the processes with a lot of, I guess, unknowns. So what we did with our samples, like we've just mentioned as well, was the um, trying to replicate and emulate what would actually happen in in the actual process. See, for us, we, we source our grapes in various different locations. So we, we, we processed some of our grapes at the source of the, you know, the vineyard itself, um, as well as had some transported here. Um, and we did all these bucket trials to, to sort of confirm what we were doing was going to be as successful as possible, um, including the change of the press program so that instead of um, the press rolling and, and doing its process in its program, we would actually prevent that from happening and just so one continuous, not too fast in terms of pressing, but just enough so we extract what we needed to in terms of that free run portion, um, sometimes including splitting that two ways. But the the... The, the fermentation of the reds where we found quite a lot of challenges for obvious reasons that it got the further contact on on the skin so you know we also found that some of our reds that came in with a much higher bome seemed to be able to withhold those those compounds a little bit differently so I, I guess from from a winemaker's point of view is always be willing to try something I think that's most important always do your bucket ferments because there's so many different variables that will come into play, the aspect of different locations of the vineyard, it, it, they all seem to have a, a different result on, on the outcome of fruit. So I would strongly recommend everyone gives it the time of day should this event come again. Thanks, Alex. I guess that's all we've got time for today on this Managing Bushfire podcast. As mentioned earlier, we have a second podcast coming up shortly you can find these podcasts on apple or spotify or your favorite podcast app more information about these projects is available um, on the asvo website one australia website and awri has an extensive smoke tank page and loads of information thanks for listening